Welcome to the Truth Lover video podcast presented by Love and Truth Party. I am your host, Will Pye, author, speaker, transformational coach, workshop and retreat leader, and founder of Love and Truth Party. You can find out more about me at willpie.com. Love and Truth Party is a self-organizing, self-replicating community and movement of love and awakening, a wisdom school facilitating health, healing, and happiness. Find us and join our mailing list at loveandtruthparty.org. We exist to empower the deep realization and integration of unitive consciousness, of one human being, and to inspire action in the world from this clarity as New Earth Ninjas, our playful avatar. We do so in the spirit of play, holding the paradox that all is well, even and including all collective crises, while simultaneously being moved to act to lessen suffering and serve the creation of conscious culture and society. Our projects include distributing a million love letters from the universe, inviting people to receive the love and care in these and within the happiness hacks and other free resources found on loveandtruthparty.org. Today, we're privileged and honored to be joined by Jeannie Zandi. Jeannie is the director of Living as Love, a nonprofit organization dedicated to supporting people to live from their essence as love. A year before the birth of her daughter, Jeannie was plunged into a dark night of the soul that culminated in a radical shift of consciousness. Her teaching focuses on the transformational power of incarnated being. She is known for her fearless clarity, tender mercy towards humanness, and a juicy, poetic, and often humorous style that draws from Advaita Vedanta, Sufism, Christian mysticism, and the ongoing revelation of fully engaged living. Jeannie, it's wonderful to have you on the show today. Thank you for giving your time. It's a pleasure to have you here. Thank you. We were beginning a dialogue as to what we might talk about and I think we clarified that we don't know what we're going to talk about which feels exciting (laughs) and as a a little framing looking at your work and some powerful themes within that we thought that the dark night of the soul and embodying love might be a nice place to start and it feels like it might be useful to hear from you Um, this this phrase dark night of the soul it's evocative it probably means a lot for a lot of people and perhaps some people are not sure what this would refer to so what what are you talking about when you say a a dark night of the soul well until i read saint john of the cross i would have just said i was going through hell because i had no context for what i was experiencing and at some point in there uh, Mirabai Star and I were both in a poetry class together and she was talking about a translation of The Dark Night that she was doing by St. John. So I begged for a pre-publication copy and said that, you know, I have a good eye and if I noticed any stray misspellings or whatever, that would be my service to get my hands on this thing. And uh, up until that point, I had not deeply had my experience mirrored by anyone. I had some small bits. And at that time I was a busy mom 
you know, I was not surveying all of the literature or, or I was Googling like mad things like, you know, like you ask the eight ball, you know, that black eight ball that people, you know, like what the hell is going on? I'm in hell, you know, things like that. Uh, those are actually search strings on my website. If somebody looks <laughs> in things like that, they might find me. <laughs> uh, so when I read that book, I found myself so perfectly mirrored in my experience that I alternately put the book down and wailed and laughed hysterically and bowed to this man who had uh, chronicled uh, that passage. And it's, it's a really sacred passage in mystical Christianity. And uh, though I had growing up, uh, my mom Catholic, my dad an atheist, which provided a lot of interesting conflict inside here to figure out, uh, I hadn't ever heard of the dark night. And uh, so that provided a, a phrase to refer to what I had been through. And um, in my intimate understanding of it. <laughs> I have the, the burn marks on my flesh, still the skid marks. Um, it's basically uh, light, the, the soul being flooded with light and all of the dark matter, all of the um, wretchedness of separation uh, rises to block out and obscure uh, one's mental faculties, uh, one's sense of future. Um, basically, uh, it's known as a, a passive passage. In other words, you have done everything you could do to put yourself in the Holy's arms, and now the Holy's going to put you on its surgical table and relieve you of the things that you would never, within your own volition, be able to relieve yourself of. Um, is probably the best way to say it. A kind of forced surrender. Very, in, indeed. <laughs> indeed, yeah. I, I, uh, uh, someone who came to my events uh, shared some photos with me at one point, and one of the, they were from India, and one of the photos was of some deity's foot on the neck of something sort of ah, screaming. And I was like, that, that's it. You know, God's boot on my neck for, you know, being held underwater, everything obscured. Um, and it's a marvelous, you know, you couldn't pay, I don't think, for such a perfect flummoxing of every act of mind and will. Uh, just such a such a beautiful uh, rotor rooter, uh, you know. Rilke describes it in a poem where he says, "Everywhere he looks, around him is stone, is rock. He's he's just cornered." Adia calls it a, a sacred corner. I'm pretty sure if anyone did attempt to offer such an experience, there'd be health and safety regulations <laughs> that would prevent it from ever. <laughs> <laughs> having the intensity that that it would uh, require, and and who would sign up? I mean, who would sign up? No, I you know anyone who you say the big dangerous prayer, which you know I did. I said, "Give me nothing that I want," which I have just had reflected in my. Uh, I have a Facebook group, and someone just posted 
a poem of Rumi's where he actually says almost that very literal phrase, Hmm. um, you know, saying the dangerous prayer. And then when what comes to actually enact that comes, (laughs) it's more like, just kidding. Right. Not sure that was... I was just joking. Did you not realize? I said, like, be careful what you wish for, right? I hear this exactly. uh, phrase. Exactly. I can imagine immersed in that to encounter a passage that spoke to that would have been a profound experience in and of itself that someone else somewhere had gone through something. Compared. Oh, Lord. Yeah. I mean, after more than two years of not knowing what the hell you know, it was not just a blue mood. And this is part of a little bit my beef with the literature out there. I think it's very innocent. But in the name of Dark Night of the Soul, people are writing books about typical human difficulties and how hard it is. And even though that struggle um, mimics, you know, darkness is darkness, whatever, whatever brings it upon you. Um, but St. John was very specific in talking about uh, this is not a passage that is necessarily brought on by a human difficulty, although it can seem as though um, every difficulty that could possibly be imagined starts to corner you. Uh, the darkness of the soul is actually uncaused by circumstance. Uh, and is uh, basically the way that St. John sees it. it. It's an act of God. It's a, and if we want to say nature or we want to say truth or we want to say the Tao, whatever it is, that force um, brings itself to bear uh, in a way that the, the anguish, it's also not depression, it's not trauma. Uh, and the, the anguish at the heart of separation is brought up from the basement where it's absolutely repressed in most people and just peaks out in small doses that we can handle. But the heart of that anguish, the anguish of trading in love, oneness, joy, unity, simplicity for conflict, uh, it, that essential anguish that lives down in the bottom of the basement of all beings who live from, from conflict and separation is very much brought to bear uh, 24-7. And it's no small little, it's no little childhood <laughs> issue, <laughs> you know. It feels like there's a, when I hear you say sort of uncaused, one of the more marketable aspects of the spiritual path can be causeless joy the arising of light and joy and bliss for no circumstantial reason. Yes, yes. It feels like this is the, the flip side, perhaps. <laughs> Causeless of, anguish. Right. <laughs> far, far less uh, attractive. And, and yet it seems like there's something in that, the play of light and dark. The, the, there's that Gibran phrase that we know our despair and joy they're rather they're rather close together and that through the same furrows of our despair does does joy run well there's to me there's just i'm always speaking metaphorically here there's one door into the heart and whether when the door opens and it's pain that's flowing out it's the same opening 
And in my experience, um, it, and, uh, you know, Llewellyn Von Lee, uh, Sufi teacher, talks about longing being the, you know, the other side of the love coin, that longing is love, longing is the yin aspect of love. And in my experience, um, those doors open and it's almost like longing, 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 longing love, you know, like they're not two compartments. And, uh, you know, I think you've heard in Gibran when he, he talks about, um, you know, you can't have the fullness of love without the fullness of grief. Hmm. And, uh, you know, the Sufis talk about the seed of the heart being cracked open by pain, by trial, by the world. And until that happens, the doors to, to the kind of love we're talking about, we're not just talking about, I like you, I'm sending you a Valentine, but like divine, outrageous, everything here is my dear, squishy, precious kind of love. <laughs> Um, and that's the sweetie part and the, the fire part is, and anything false will burn. <laughs> so there is a fierceness in this love, right? It's, it's such a word that's overused. Uh, you know, I love chocolate or I, I love you is often said in relationships. And then, you know, the next day they're not loving the person. It's suddenly, <laughs> yeah. suddenly the love has disappeared or, or I love sunsets. But this is, a, this is a love I've seen in some of your writings. You capitalize the L on this love it's like a universal love let's say rather than a personal love yes and um here there's a sense of the the formless the formless coming into form as vibrating field you know it's like the the very birth of this realm is vibration mm -hmm. and uh as and as that seeks to embody humanly, um, the heart has, of course, the lotus that we all sort of, you know, the pink love, right? The, the, the yin love, not associated with women or men, just the softy and the open and the permissive and the all-encompassing arms open mama love. But the heart also has a sword, has a yang aspect, uh, an ability to stand an ability to um, act uh, that fierceness, the sense of, you know, um, cut that, cut that shit out, basically. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, it's like the good dad. Mm -hmm. Like my dad used to, he used to have this awesome young thing. He would go, get your coats, we're going. Ta -cha. You know, it's just you like. You knew such... when that was said that we were going. There was no. Yeah. 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 Yeah, beautiful energy and necessary for the full embodiment of love. Mm -hmm. In my experience, humbly speaking. <laughs> and if a dark night does one thing, I would say it, it, it humbles. It yeah. brings one to one's knees, perhaps in a way that we haven't been brought before. I, I want to get your perspective on a couple of things around this. So one is... I hear you make the distinction between the dark night and depression. Yeah. And I've, I've experienced depression on and off throughout most of my, my life. And I've had two periods, which I, the first one was the dark night as I understood it and lasted for a considerable period of time. And then there was a second period, which was all the more disturbing 
because the mind thought I, I, I thought I'd done that. I thought I'd been there. I thought I'd like ticked that spiritual yeah. passage. Off. I can, I can surf the dark, dude. Right. right. <laughs> so more humbling was clearly necessary. And I'm intrigued. I, in my, I don't recall where I read it, but I read something of the second dark night. And I wonder if that's something that you've read or you've experienced or you've encountered or is your understanding it's really a one-shot deal, a one-time deal? Well, I have to say that it seems, I always this phrase always comes to mind, you know, there are many ways to skin a cat, and I hate the image of that, but <laughs> it can feel that way. <laughs> Maybe an appropriate painful. Yeah. yeah, and so I want to emphasize that there are so many ways that we're brought to our knees, and there's so many ways that beings wake to their true nature. So I always have to say that because people can start sort of feeling badly that they haven't had a dark night or get all kind of possessive about their dark night and all that kind of stuff. So I want to say there isn't one way, right? And they've had two, right? You know, like <laughs> <laughs> so they're really cool. They're really super cool. <laughs> the more of them you've had, the longer they are. No, no, no. The shorter they are, the cooler you are because, you know, you weren't stupid, right? Because that's right. how we feel on year three, four, five, right? Like, <laughs> I must really be stubborn and stupid. Have I not got the I'm on yet? year 15, right? right. So I just want to say the undoing can look all kinds of ways. And, and St. John talks about the dark night of sense and the dark night of spirit. I also experienced um, some depression in my younger life. Um, you know, just the typical, uh, I probably suck, you know, nobody loves me kind of, kind of brand of that. Um, and I think it's really important to get those things diagnosed by someone really good, someone who understands the dark night, um, because so, so many things are misdiagnosed, I just want to say. But it is important if you've actually got a brain chemical imbalance that that gets addressed and you don't just lay around on the floor like Jeannie Zandi sobbing for five years, <laughs> you know, that you actually get that addressed. And those are tricky things to, to discern. Um, but so from the time I was 23, about um, all the way up, my practice was because I, I had learned some uh, techniques then to meet pain and I use that uh, generally in the context of another person. It was a, a peer, a, a form of peer counseling, really deep form. I use that to basically go after the places where I was anything but love, anything but purely presently, availably, openly love. And that was my spiritual practice. I didn't think of it as spiritual. I didn't think of it as anything. I just thought of it as I want, even then, I want to be a being of love and clarity uh, because, because my heart wants it, you mm -hmm. know. And so I did pr probably lifetimes in a, in a couple decades or so, I did a ton of meeting things from this life, from potentially other lives. You know, I, I never want to coalesce around any specific idea or structure because this stuff is so mysterious. Um, but I did a lot of meeting things and um, putting legs under my heart is what I call it, you know, like um, 
And so in that, I have a sense that maybe I didn't need a dark night of the sense or something. I, I just, I met so much in that period. And as I was going into the dark night, I really had an identity of I can face anything. I'm, you know, and, and that was part of my arrogance and that got brought to its knees. It's like face this babe, you know, and, and anyone who could face it was obliterated. It was just, there was no longer like, here I am, the cool one facing the dark. It was like, uh, marry me. You know, it was like Hades saying, marry me. There's only one of us now. <laughs> Wide openness, you know. And uh, so I'm not sure that everybody needs to or that there's a distinction. Um, and I, I'm not a geek enough to really, really study and call up in my mind, you know, what were the, what are the characteristics of the dark night of the sense? What are the characteristics of the dark night of the spirit? Um, dark night of the spirit is supposedly way more of an ass kicker. I hope it's okay to say bad words on your show because. hundred percent. We they love the truth here. And if the truth includes <laughs> bad words, then that's welcome too. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, so. You, you used a word there which struck out for me, which was diagnose. Yeah. Obviously, this is a traditionally or most commonly used as a, it's a medical term. Yeah, it's tr a tricky term. Right. And we're in a time where the conversation around mental health, around depression, yeah. thankfully has, has expanded greatly. There, there are more conversations happening. And I heard you use uh, you know, brain chemistry imbalance, which even this as a concept has very much been brought into question as to whether such a thing in, yeah. in evidence actually exists. Yeah. And I guess what I'm interested in, when I go, let's say I go to a, a, a standard MD in the US or a GP <laughs> in the UK, and I say I'm depressed, right? It's not a move, right? It's, it could be a very dangerous step. Absolutely. To take. And I would imagine that's amplified and accentuated with more complex or nuanced spiritual experiences. And I use that word with hesitancy, totally. such as a dark night, because the, the lack of understanding of depression with an MD or GP is there. That lack of understanding is is massive when it comes to the dark night of the soul i would imagine did you have any encounters with uh, people uh, psychotherapists psychologists doctors through the dark night or was it primarily with peers and people who you trusted to have a bit more of a nuanced insight um well i didn't i didn't how do i say i did not go to any traditional conventional health providers, so to speak, because I already, I already was off the map mm -hmm. um, in my way. And I deeply, deeply trusted uh, the Tao. I, I just deeply trusted mm -hmm. life, even though this was a test to that trust. Mm -hmm. You know, I was really curious about how this thing was going to turn out because I, I really did. I didn't know a human being could experience what I was experiencing without some form of mental illness. And mm -hmm. I did, you know, I do, I have a master's in transpersonal counseling, 
mm-hmm. from Naropa. So I went through the diagnostic stuff. I had a copy of the DSM-4, looked through it, couldn't find myself, you know. And But I was looking everywhere. I was looking everywhere. And I went to, I looked into and read about, I was uh, pregnant at the time, but it, you know, the things started, start the, the sort of death knell gong started ringing about a year before that. Um, and I was just like, you know, feeling the stalking and being like, yeah, I just go away and I'll keep running my program, you know, kind of thing. Um, but I looked into, it got really gnarly when I found out I was pregnant because there was something that was just, I don't know what that was. It was some kind of tether to earth or something that really, um, my favorite way of evading was flight. And I, I didn't even know the extent to which I was fleeing, um, until this thing sort of tethered me. Um, but I, I had one friend say, go see a doctor. And I, I took that as an insult, (laughs) you know, like kind of like, what are you talking about? You know, um, I felt like I could, it was an immense amount of hellishness, but I felt like I could sail through it. I was, even though I, I longed to slam my car into one of those nice cement overpasses as I drove along the highway because the suffering was so deep. I never got to the place where I was afraid for myself that way. And for me, as long as I uh, wasn't going to off myself, I was ready to face whatever it was. I also had a baby. And so even though I felt as though I was worth absolutely nothing to anyone, like my whole, all of my beautiful capacities were entirely eclipsed. I was just a total beggar, just like washed up on the shore, you know, like some bedraggled, half dead sea creature, you know. So I wasn't any good for anyone, but this baby relied on this and I absolutely loved her. I, I had brought her here. I wanted her to have a host, even if the host was a ghost, you know. <laughs> in, uh, in the perspective of, of this all being uh, a divine setup, as it were, it feels not accidental that you were with child, that you had this tethering, that you had this groundedness, that you had uh, this, 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 this indisputable worth that yes. was outside of yourself and yet intrinsic to yourself and inside of your physicality. I it think. was, it was, it's, I feel like the holy is like an evil genius. <laughs> it gives us exactly <laughs> <laughs> just, you know, not always. I mean, many people do choose to leave this life and, you know, we can't all, and, and when, you know, I know you've had your share of hell is my sense that uh, none of us who've been to hell go, say things like, can you see that it's a gift? Right. Right. You know, we know how hard and gnarly it gets. Mm-hmm. And um, so I didn't, I, I was, I was wise and not desperate enough to seek any conventional wisdom, but I did see an herbalist about, you know, postpartum depression mm-hmm. um, or, you know, where my, my hormones whacked. Um, I did when I, I could sort of read uh, you know, I read the Tartar Putnam's collection on depression and saw a beautiful article in there about ego side, where this man had studied and talked with survivors of suicide, 
and came to the conclusion that people who are trying to off their bodies are actually trying to off their egos. They just don't know how to do it, so they do that. Um, so there were little tiny snippets. Rilke, what, I mean, Rilke is such a champion of the dark. He's like, yeah, you know, those are the good times of life because they're soul building. You know, he's really, um, he's, he celebrates in his poetry uh, the force of the holy that, that lays outside the village waiting for you to surrender and, you know, doesn't send anyone in to bargain and that kind of thing. So I consulted poets and I consulted, you know, I finally, um, because satsang was happening in my house, my daughter's dad was very into satsang. I was not um, because I found it, um, in my experience, not to include the body in the way that my approach so did. And so I, I just, I, I didn't trust it all the way down to the root of my body as it was being presented. Um, but uh, Pamela Wilson ended up being in my living room and she's so generous. She allowed my, you know, one and a half year old to be there too. Um, and one and a half year olds, you know, they, they disrupt the salt song vibe, right? They're like, what's that mama? You know? <laughs> um, and so, you know, she started speaking a bit about the dark. She looked at me and started speaking. I can't remember if I asked her a question, but uh, she was definitely one of my pals during that time, just holding space uh, for me. And I also had two friends who uh, knew this style of holding space for each other that I had learned young. And so I would just, you know, they didn't know what was happening with me, but they could hold space while I just wailed. And I wailed and wailed and wailed for years, all the way to work, all the way through lunch, all the way home. The only piece I had was sleep and uh, had no moments besides one exception where the light broke through. Um, you know, I had, I had no moments of okayness uh, for years, but I didn't. And I, I agree with you that people have to be really careful who they choose to show this difficulty to. And what's hard is that we get so desperate for company and mirroring that we'll show it to people who dump, dump misunderstanding, ignorance, their own terror, their own fear, um, right into that place where the, you know, the person's already trying to handle so much. And, um, and so, yeah, you, you go to a medical doctor and, and the description of the dark night sounds, it sounds like psychosis. It sounds like major depression. It sounds like, you know, and, and these careful discernments, I think I would um, substitute my word of diagnose with discernment. Those subtle discernments are really important. And it's not just a one dimensional thing because someone who hits the dark night can also have unresolved trauma rise. Um, you know, can also have medical issues. I, I have a friend who, when I was going through the dark night, um, he really looked like he was too. And then he got diagnosed with Lyme disease. Hmm. And so, you know, it, it's, uh, I did try to go to a therapist and um, that didn't last long because basically my consciousness and my space was always bigger than the space that someone else was trying to lend to me. Now, you know that um, there's almost like a, it's like a law of physics or something mm -hmm. that the huger, the empty space that you are, the more 
magnetic it is for other people's dysfunction or confusion. And so in my wide openness, I, I, I didn't often find an openness that was big enough to actually hold me in those places. Um, and it, it feels, speaking to that, uh, I know certainly in my experience, and I'm interested to hear how for yourself, that in going through those uh, ultimately expansive experiences, though expansive is probably the, the last word you would use to describe it during the experience, yeah. the, then exists in your system a spaciousness that can hold the equivalent should someone else present. Absolutely. And that's always been meaningful for me in times of challenge when that was known, that there was some function to this. And I wonder, was there any sense of that during the dark night for you? Or was that only something that was able to come with hindsight looking back and in your experience as you teach and share today? Um, until the dark lifted, uh, every sense of anything that I would have to offer was obliterated. I was force-fed. <laughs> I, I ate my shadow. And so, I, I, I mean, when I would stop for a homeless person and be able to give them $5, I would start to cry because I felt like, you know, this sorry-ass carcass of a, a flesh monkey can offer you something. And, and so there, and there, you know, I think there's a lot of kind of mystical stuff. I can't even speak about what that exchange was for me at that time. But no, I was not. And, and St. John said that, you know, he said, uh, and uh, no one going through the dark night thinks that they're worthy of such a divine passage, you know, and, and, and I've had this repeatedly with students who will report that they'll, they'll hear me or they'll read my words and they'll feel relieved for about 30 seconds. And then the doubt and the dark will come back in, you know, no, you're not in the dark night. You're just a wretched failure who hasn't figured out how to handle your shit or whatever. Um, so it so. seems to be a feature over the dark night that there's no, a redeeming narrative or or glimmer of light during it like that's not that's not allowed that would defeat the intensity or reduce the required intensity of the dark night that that's my sense that there's there's no narrative left there's no me left that you can't get anything up or you'll get slapped down kind of thing was that also your experience i would say so the slapping down persistent slapping down and yet I can see that in having gone through something of that and then going through something of that in the future there was or at, at, a, at a later time there would be recall of okay this is this has led to something in the past this has meant something in the past this has produced something in the past I can't see how this could mean anything now or be be uh, productive or, or evolutionary or um, but, but perhaps perhaps something there as a, as a comforting thought yeah um, you, you trusted the intrinsic value of the compost heap 
Yeah, <laughs> it's 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 definitely that that lesson has has of course been have has had to be repeated on a number of occasions, but the the value of the shit of the compost as that you know that metaphor beautifully evokes um has has been shown again and again and i i talk about radical gratitude which is really based upon that recognition that um it's in it's proportional as well it's actually in the greatest darkness and this would make sense in that sort of uh unifying of polarities to, to to know light as clearly as we possibly can within one system we must know perhaps the proportional depths of of darkness and it seems that that might be the the deeper function that we go to that place of complete chasm of complete emptiness of complete um what's the word there was a book that a friend referred me to that it's something like chasm, but the the the, the totality in in order to come out the other side, as it were, something different transformed through the process. Yeah, I want to say that it's words are so tricky, <laughs> and um, light and dark. You know, we're taught opposites and uh, if I would speak to my experience uh, things that are banished from consciousness because they are so unwelcome that's what we call being in the dark they're unconscious they're not uh, woven into the light of consciousness, welcomed back home kind of thing. And um, my experience, you know, people in my work joke that like, you know, the gnarlier the thing that someone's presenting, you know, the more maniacal my grin gets, you know, it's like, hey, <laughs> That's real potential I mean, here. Yeah. Not, not to the, you know, not to the insensitive point, you know, because sometimes someone doesn't need you grinning while they're talking about their abuse or whatever, but um, exactly the, the potential and the, and also uh, I, I forget which mystic wrote this. It could have been St. John. I'm not sure about how, uh, <laughs> how one who, I don't know, how do I say this? the empty ballroom where God is dancing <laughs> when the big gnarly th things that are commonly thought of as we should be afraid of these, the, this is really bad. This is all uh, because the sense of bad, good, you know, gnarly, not gnarly has been obliterated because you've been to the bottom of the well and met the gangsters that live there. Um, there's just a, uh, you can hear God chuckling that anything in this world is not made of love, is not that. And so that then everything becomes this one light. And within the one light, there are ones that are, that believe themselves to be banishable. Um, but that, 
there's there's no even though we can so suffer in those places and and we can't deny what it's like uh, to live through some of that um, both the actual events and then the healing of those events which pretty much makes us relive them in a certain way Um, still uh, everything is turned into one of God's darlings you know and uh, no matter how deformed, limping, with leprosy. It's like, oh, darling, we've been waiting for you. And actually, you are all the more dear for the trials that you have had, you know, when these places rise. Uh, they're just, they're, I love this um, uh, depiction of the goddess riding on a sow. The idea is that the goddess knows light so deeply that she can ride into the pigsty in the middle of all that mucking and grunting and still maintain that shine, not because she's spiritually bypassing, <laughs> but because she knows uh, the, the dirt also as the beloved. And I appreciate you speaking to spiritual bypassing because in the meta narrative or in the, picture that time affords or the insight that time affords that there is goodness in this utter badness that there is <laughs> growth in this total regression um it as you say words are tricky and it feels like there's a huge piece in this of discernment I mean, we're on a video podcast that we don't know who's listening or watching, which makes it all the more tricky. Um, In a meeting, of course, we have some contact with the energy of the being. So there's a degree to which we can determine, discern whether a maniacal grin or, 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 or a weeping might be the most true and loving response. Yeah. And it feels that um, there is, an aspect or an essence of this whole process that we're, that we're pointing to that you're sharing that is the, the meeting of it as it is without any uh, glossing over, without any, any narrative, without any glimpse uh, is, is what was required certainly in your experience for that experience to, to, to run its course. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, my friend Kim said to me, uh, Nobody in the dark night has any groovy perspective on their dark night. It's, then it's not a dark night. If you have a groovy perspective in there, no, it's, you're brought to your knees and then some. They're just, it, it's a utterly defenseless. You, you turn, you just basically fork over all your somebodiness. And <laughs> I, I wonder if, so there's, there's, there's two things that arise. One is that it seems that, in what you've described and in my own experience, there is to some extent a a calling forth of this experience. We certainly didn't consciously call it forth, but you've spoken to say, give me all that I do not want. Uh, No, give give me nothing that I want. Give me nothing that I want. (laughs) Close. For my, is, is there is there a difference there? Is there a, give me nothing that I want? Will yours give me all that I do not want? Right. Give me nothing that I want. Yeah, it's more like I wanted, you know, I wanted to be, 
I, I had seen that in a place where I was willfully and egoically uh, wanting something, and you know, I, I've been like a serial monogamous, so it was mostly in the context of relationship, you know, I'm do this, you know, from you. <laughs> like, mm-hmm. who cares what shape you're in, you know, <laughs> kind of thing. Uh, and being in relationship and having to meet those places where I could not get what I wanted and allowing myself to really go into the grabby places, the angry places, the self-loathing places, the longing places, the grief places, I saw that I would drop through that into a place of fullness. It, It felt miraculous to me that that grabby baby would be burned through and below it would be you know, uh, everything that you want is inside of you. I I was actually experiencing that in these small ways. So I said, give me nothing that I want because I just want to be that. I just want to be that fullness. And I didn't know anything about emptiness and nobodiness and satsang. I had no concepts like that at all. Like my spirituality came out of my Catholic upbringing and some Sufi dancing I did and, and some reading, but it was mostly in the context of more like the beloved and things like that. Um, and, and I completely lost my train of thought. So lovely. Hello. How, how perfect. <laughs> it, the train ran off on indiscernible direction. The, what I was sensing in, in that, there was, we could say, though you were not consciously or volitionally calling forth a dark night, no. you're looking, looking back, you can sort of go, oh, okay, well, there was a calling forth. Yeah. A, a soulful yearning that was met in a way that you could not have known. Yeah. And in my own experience, uh, the prayer of St. Francis was my meditation uh, mantra for a long time. Uh, Make me an instrument of my yeah. peace, right? Yeah. Yeah, and I can just hear the match lighting. Uh-huh. <laughs> when you, oh, say you, that. you want me to make you an instrument? Okay. <laughs> okay. <laughs> okay sure. there, babe. <laughs> no problem. <laughs> right. And we, we would hope that that means, you know, a nice um, becoming peace workshop, perhaps, you know, over a exactly. weekend. Just, just nice. chat a little bit. <laughs> Cultivate. This is like beyond cultivation. Mm. Right. And I, I want to sort of make that, link perhaps to people that are viewing or, or, or watching perhaps you know, if we have this in the title perhaps they've been drawn to this conversation through their own experience and a desire to make sense of it a desire to suffer less and it seems that that eccentric yearning for truth or that desire to be burnt that desire to be transformed it is often i mean two two out of two here at least um present prior to such experiences and i i guess i guess what I'm, I'm not really sure what i'm trying to do but i think i'm trying to offer something for people that are listening or watching that might be helpful or useful and maybe you can speak to that if people are, are either in the depths of depression or perhaps in their own dark night, if they've been experiencing this bleakness and hopelessness and despair for an ongoing period, is there a a perspective, something you would share as a a general 
response to that that may be helpful? I think um, it's useful to educate oneself in, you know, in all, and, and everyone does this in a way because we're really motivated. We're motivated to not suffer. You know, we're really motivated to not suffer. But I feel like there's some kind of responsibility that we each get to take to educate ourselves about the causes, the, the potential causes of depression, um, reading about trauma, you know, um, the nutritional aspects, you know, it's like, do I just not have enough magnesium, B6 and iron, you know, do, do I getting a complete workup, like basically leaving no stone unturned in understanding your own instrument, hmm. what you've experienced, what the potential causes are, that kind of thing I feel like is really important. We can have helpers and, um, to the degree that our resonator is working, you know, we can find people who have this knowledge. It doesn't have to just be in books, but a kind of a sense that I have been handed this colon to solve in this lifetime. This is not a sign of my suckage. This is a sign of my humanness. This is in, in Christianity, they would say, taking up your cross. It's like, okay, I'm carrying this thing. I'm stepping out of, you know, victimhood. Um, and why me and woe is me, and I'm just going to bash the walls of the cell um, to this, and of course, some bashing, you know, nothing wrong with that. Um, but to really take on educating oneself about what is actually going on and, uh, and, and to me, just that piece that this koan is the assignment I've been given in this life or that I chose, as some of us would say, um, which doesn't mean, again, that that means we can just go, okay, then I'm going to choose out of it because that's a very shallow uh, look at a very complex system of conscious and unconscious beliefs, orientations, causes, etc. Um, there is a beautiful um, metaphor available in nature, and our culture um, is lacks understanding of that we like the uh we like the blossoming fruiting high noon part of the plant cycle but the rotting the fading the sinking the decomposing the resting in silence and the sprout are all not man enough for us mm. and we we have to basically you know meh and so when we go into those places we are conditioned to believe that we are a problem that we are broken that mm. we're not at high noon and therefore we suck and that the use of ment mentation and will is God, and we should be able to use mentation and will to solve all these things. But that completely factors out the soul. It factors out nature. It factors out the way of things. So in that context, uh, depression can be seen as somewhere in this uh, rotting, dying, mm -hmm. decomposing, resting. Now, if all things are, you know, if I'm nutritionally sound, etc. Um, and my daughter's uh, father's family has manic depression. And uh, some of the people in that family's lives have been saved. 
by medication. Hmm. So um, that that's a piece that we all have to sort of wonder at. Um, unfortunately, it's just the thing the medical establishment hurls at someone. Um, and, and so I want to say that is one thing that, um, along with nutrition and things like this, that need trauma, that need to be looked into, but that there is a very natural, wholesome, within nature, within our psyches, nature rules our psyches, uh, that darkness serves something, and that sometimes in this culture, we are not allowed to build the cocoon that the caterpillar builds to liquefy. Yeah. Yeah. And so sometimes we can stay in a depression forever because, I mean, what's a liqui liquefying caterpillar going to do without a cocoon? It doesn't grow wings. It just stays there, you know, as probably food for something, right? But with the egg, the nest, the cocoon, the womb around that, um, that can go through its rotting, dying, stillness, rebirth, um, and so the wholesomeness of that process. Um, but I just want to say, I think the single uh, most healing thing for people to learn is this is not a sign that you have failed, that you suck, even if you have failed at things. This is not a sign of your intrinsic badness. This is your assignment. This is your koan. Um, yeah, I, I, I think... I hear you loudly on those metaphors and when you first spoke to the metaphors in nature, for me, the, the butterfly that we, we love and adore. And of course, relative to that, the, the, the stewing in its own acidic juices of the <laughs> caterpillar we're, we're not so fond of. And I hear also something that you're pointing to that's certainly alive in my thoughts, which is the uniqueness of each journey you've spoken to this earlier in our conversation and each and i realize I, I kind of set you up by asking is there some generic advice you can give and of course some of that advice might be that this is your personal your soulful assignment this is your unique journey so for some it may include medication for others not there's something that does seem universal and that's the uh, not just the, the, the metaphors of nature I saw a piece of your writing when you found there was a slight relief in the swells of the river, in the movement of the wind and so on. And I, and I know in my own experience, uh, nature is the one consistent goodness. Um, it, its luster and beauty is dimmed at times of bleakness and yet it, it, it can still be noticeable even in those times of, of, of darkness so that feels like practical advice for anyone i think uh to spend more time in nature to take the shoes off the socks off to connect with the earth uh the science is very much supporting that now as actually being well evidenced if we need that to support us and something else i wanted to speak to as well i'm aware of the um i think it's the global center for spiritual emergence this phrase that stan and christina groff coined and uh, there there are a lot more um katie mottram uh, russell razak is a doctor in the uk Sol blackhall i think deals with bipolar in particular who would be perhaps useful resources 
uh, whether in person or online, to go to and get a discerning perspective or feedback or reflection on someone's uh, unique darkness as it may be manifesting at this point. So, and I'm sure, of course, uh, you know, geniezandy.com would be a potential resource of useful information and events in, in North America as well. Yeah. Um, I just took, wrote a couple notes cause things will rise and then they'll go. And, um, I just want to say that, um, we can tend to think that this kind of talk is for those poor, unfortunate people who are going through that really hard stuff and that we are more lit than that. You know, we're on the, we're on this path of spirituality, you know, we're going up. Right. And I want to say that the meeting of anything in us, you know, it's like uh, most people in Western culture carry um, division, carry conflict, carry separation. And for most of us, until we are pressed, that lives very quietly in the subconscious. And if we have plenty of money and we have plenty of friends and our, our life is sunny, we can approach spirituality as, okay, I'm lit and now I get more light. I get to have more light. Mm. Um, and what I want to say is that to meet the roots of separation, the wisdom of this cycle and the company through the darkness is useful in meeting all manner of struggles, of fears, of um, places where we aren't 100% dissolved in divine love. And so this cycle isn't just, oh, for the, the people who are scraping along on their hands and knees. This is actually living and useful in all of us as we seek to integrate uh, the entirety of what lives in us human beings. So I wanted to say that piece. And then I wanted to say that the main uh, thing that I was schooled in there as I laid by the river and noticed the fluttering leaves and the ripples in the water, the main thing that the dark night schooled me in was dropping out of the everyday mind into a direct felt experiencing of hereness. And uh, at first I wasn't good at that at all because my mind was so strong. I come from a really, you know, a very science-based, scientifically materialistic kind of family, um, not a lot of emotionality going on, her wisdom about it. And my mind was so strong in most people's, it's just phenomenal to me how well guarded the mental model is by the roving, making sense, you know, uh, function. Um, and so, uh, but any amount that we can drop, at the, the, I just saw how the mind exacerbated the fear that I was carrying with its scrambling and its, and that it is that leaving of this embodied reality 
that causes the body to have even more fear because now it, the zookeeper is not home in the zoo. The mm. beauty of consciousness is not feeding and tending and integrating and balancing the whole system. And so um, when we're white knuckling it with looping thoughts uh, to the degree that we can drop our attention out of mentation into the simplicity, the simple integrity of ground, of breath, of warm teacup, of sunshine on our face. And that's where I sought sanctuary. I sought sanctuary in the moment until I could not leave anymore, until my, my attention could not flee it because fleeing it hurt. Um, and obviously trauma, um, trauma complexifies that because there are some who carry trauma such that dropping attention into felt experience just exacerbates trauma. Um, and in that case, trauma resolution is a great place to look um, as is the wisdom of resourcing, putting our attention on things that are benevolent, no matter how tiny they are, a favorite color, you know, the feel of a teddy bear, whatever. Um, if, if you don't carry trauma, putting attention anywhere is better than hanging out up in the crazy maker. And it feels that what you're speaking to there, we had in our little title topic that we thought we may talk about and it feels like we have um the embodying of love and that's what i'm hearing you speak to dropping into the felt experience whatever that may be and i hear you as well that that's i'm sure for the majority of westerners probably a a, a, a long journey to yeah. learn to allow awareness to drop from mentation into felt experience um into the body and uh, yeah that that's an ongoing depth of my practice is connecting with the earth and doing the yoga and the chugong in order to bring attention into the body and to stay with the pains and the discomforts to not run away and to uh to, to not numb and in my view that is the embodiment of of love it, it is the allowing of presence into the body into those places that haven't been loved that haven't been met that we've labeled as bad or, or, or uncomfortable yeah i i feel like we have the the layers of confusion about love are many and this whole thing love yourself and all that um, feels like it uh, creates another level of failure as people try to summon love from one part to dispense toward another part. It's just, it's like uh, just um, geometrically incorrect. <laughs> you know? And, and so what I like to say is that what looks out of our eyes empty of mind has no conflict with anything. Um, and so there is, there is an intrinsic love in the setup of consciousness and its objects that there is a, there's no division between them and that the empty gaze is all that is needed in what I call noticing. <laughs> it's just like, as you say, allowing presence to, to touch something as it is and let it have its life in consciousness, whatever it is. Uh, restores life 
to, to something that may have cut off its life. Uh, and so just simply to notice is incredibly um, powerful. It, it, our attention has a cl- catalytic quality that it lends um, to whatever's happening in there. And I just also wanted to say, just to speak from mercy and yin, that there is a place for turning our faces, you know, like <laughs> this turning our faces toward things to stay. But there's also, um, you know, the, the heroics of that can be very useful, but they can also be abusive if we have sort of been manhandled um, in our upbringing. And I don't mean by a man, I just mean by forces that are over young and abusive. It can be useful to go gently, especially if we carry trauma, to to look for five seconds and then congratulate yourself and go get your teddy and, and rock and like listen to some music that um, we all have to find the resources and the level and the supports that let us face those things. And for some people, we need to borrow the benevolence and the safety of another space holder because, you know, we're basically out of the John Wayne, John Wayne spirituality, like, okay, enough enough already, enough of over-yonging everything, that there's something about a tender presence um, that can, and, you know, this was my spiritual practice, right? It was meeting things in the context of another person's benevolent gaze. Uh, There's nothing wrong with that. It can't always be available, and it's not wise to sort of plug our holes up with lots of distracting humans um, but there's something to be said for allowing um, our own capacity to be supported by the capacity of others, because here we are, fingers on a hand, you know. Mm-hmm. We're available. Aho and amen and <laughs> all appropriate terms. That feels like a sweet spot to come to completion on that there is a turning into the pain and a time to seek support, seek solace and to turn away, you know, to Can I say one, one small more thing about love. Please. Just Cause yeah, it's like below all of our, all of the clouds <laughs> below all of the struggles, uh, this is our birthright. This is what we're made of. And that's what's glimpsed when the Grim Reaper comes and sort of plows the field clean of the confusions. Uh, what we are is revealed. Um, and it, it's hard to know that any other way than theoretically uh, when we carry these deep impressions that we are bad, wrong, banished, not worthy of showing ourselves. Um, But I just have to say, like everyone listening, this is something universal in all hearts that we are, we are beyond precious. And the the source of us is um, beyond radioactively lit. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you are loved. Yeah. Yeah, there's a sweetness in that that aligns with one of our key messages at Love and Truth Party, uh, which is you are loved. Yeah. And I really bow to the 
the journey that you've been on, Jeannie, and appreciate you taking time to share a little bit of it today. I think we did touch on the dark night and embodying love in the short while that we've had, and I hope it's been <laughs> useful for our listeners and our viewers. So thank you. Um, I've mentioned your website, geniesandy.com, and people will be able to encounter any other ways to contact you with the various channels we'll be putting this out on. I really appreciate your time today. Thank you, Will. It's really a delight to meet you. Uh, so the outro here, I'm just uh, flicking around with this. Thank you, everyone, for listening and watching and joining Jeannie and I today. Uh, please visit loveandtruthparty.org to join our community, download or order love letters if you feel to be a source of love in your community. You can have the fun of handing out these love letters. You can <laughs> register for our newsletter. You can connect on social media and even consider a financial gift at loveandtruthparty.org. Thank you to all our supporters and contributors. Together we are creating kind, conscious, courageous, human community. Lovely.